Ash won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Lethal Lethal Weapon 2. I totally forgot that it was Michael Kamen and Eric Clapton and David Sanborn, Dave, baby. David Sanborn? David, David Sanborn, Sanborn, one of the sorry. great 80s yeah. new age jazz saxophonists. Yeah. Well, he's, uh, he's on display in the movie. Oh, he's so good, though. He was great. I had a lot of Sanborn. They played him on uh, The Wave a lot. Uh, really? Yeah. The Wave. It was like the new yeah. age jazzy. Uh, yeah. There's some bad stuff on there. but I, I was more of a Kenny G guy. Well... That explains a lot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Clapton. Knock, 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 oh, yeah. Heaven's oh, it was brilliant. He was going to die. He's going to die. You don't die until I say you die. <laughs> you don't die until I say you die. Riggs. Roger. Riggs. <laughs> Roger. <laughs> this is going to be a fun episode. That's all you need to know. That's the uh, entire movie. <laughs> Take yourself back to 1989. Woo! February 3rd, after a stroke, state president of South Africa, P.W. Botha, resigns as leader of the National Party. This would lead to F.W. de Klerk being elected as state president of South Africa, and his regime gradually dismantled the apartheid system over the next five years, culminating with the 1994 election that brought jailed African National Congress leader Nelson Mandela to power. Oh, man. Apartheid. People don't remember the absolute awful. hell that yeah. was. Uh, there was the Ain't Gonna Play Sun City, the song that oh. all the, you know, like yeah. uh, Bruce Springsteen and all these people. It was a protest song against, oh, against uh, Sun apartheid? City in South Africa. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. It's really crazy to think that just 30 years ago. Yeah, that wasn't that that long ago. No, it, no. Was, a, it was just, a, 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 it, it's insane. It is absolutely insane. Uh, There's no way for us goofballs to articulate this. This is what I'm trying to say is like the pain. It's like <laughs> yes, trying to yes, talk about I, the I, Holocaust or trying to talk no. about another worldwide tragedy. I can't imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, unfathomable to me to think about. Yeah. No, it's just too much. Although fun fact, uh, they did play Lethal Weapon 2 on the night that Nelson Mandela in South Africa when Nelson Mandela got elected. Unscheduled, they just played Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it was also – it was very – Risky for them yeah. to make a political statement, yeah. Like they did, yeah. you know. Yeah. It wasn't. Not everybody was against apartheid, and you know, no, not no. everybody was boycotting South Africa. Although Danny Glover did play in a TV, I believe it was a TV movie. He played Nelson Mandela in like 1986, yeah, before the first Lethal Weapon movie. Uh, April 14th, the U.S. government seizes the Irvine, California Lincoln Savings and Loan Association. Charles Keating, for whom the Keating Five are named, eventually goes to jail as part of the massive 1980 savings and loan crisis, which cost U.S. taxpayers nearly $200 million in bailouts <sighs> and many people their life savings. Yeah, well, we weren't bailing out the people that lost their life savings. Nope, we are bailing out the savings and loans. There you go. Yeah. People be damned. Yep. May 12th, Southern Pacific Freight Locomotive SP7551 East derails in a residential area of San Bernardino, California, killing four and destroying seven houses. On May 25th, as a direct result of the derailment, the CalNev pipeline explodes, killing an additional two people and destroying 11 more houses and 21 cars. Good Lord. That was rigs. That was crazy. <laughs> That's why I put it in. It was, <laughs> it was like, oh. a high-speed chase, and uh, it was just, that was what was left in their just, wake. 
can't imagine being in that neighborhood and being like, this is insane. No, it's like that one neighborhood, too, that had that gas leak for two years or whatever, and they oh. could never go home. Yeah, that's, cr- oh, that's crazy. Crazy. July 7th, Lethal, Lethal Weapon 2 premieres. <laughs> I was going to do a saxophone, but I can't. <laughs> So, following the success of the first film, Warner Brothers and producers decided to make a sequel. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Lethal Weapon made over $120 million off of a $15 million budget. So it was ripe for a sequel. Yeah, and it pretty much launched the buddy cop genre. It did. It did. Uh, producer as Joel, we know it today. Well, yes, yes. Or <laughs> as we knew it back then. A lot of things tried to be Lethal Weapon, and it was not. Well, it became, you know, this is Lethal Weapon on a boat. Yeah. Or this, you know, just yeah. like speed on a thing, or, you know. Oh, that's... Shorthand. Joel Silverman, he was all about making those action movies. Well, he knew formula. Uh, he asked Shane Black, writer of the first film, to write the script for the sequel in the spring of 1987, and Shane Black agreed. Agreed. Black wrote the first draft along with his friend novelist Warren Murphy, co-creator of Remo Williams, the lead character of the Destroyer novels. Hey, Remo Williams. Yeah, Remo Williams. It's one of my favorite action movies. It's so good. What is it? It's, the, it's Remo Williams, and then there's the, the title, isn't it? Uh, no, it was Reno just Remo Williams, Williams in the last bastion of hope. No, I'm pretty sure it was just Remo Williams. I could be wrong. Remo Williams, Remo Williams just passed away. Yeah, he did. He did. He was so good. He was great. Uh, Warren Murphy was actually married to Nancy Cartwright of the Simpsons for 14 years. Don't have a kill, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, unfortunately. I, sorry. Oh, Remo Williams. Oh, it is. It does the have, Adventure Begins. The Adventure Begins. Because it, it was going to be a series. Because and, 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 and it was based on a series of novels, The right? Destroyer novels, yeah. Oh, man, they should have made more. I thought that it was such a fun movie, and it just did not do well in the It theater. was great. It had, uh, had Joel Grape playing an old Chinese man. <laughs> Japanese man. Japanese man. Uh, either way, pretty racist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Warren Murphy passed away from heart failure in 2015. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. But he, he wrote a ton of novels, and, and apparently they're all really good. Apparently I need to read the Destroyer novels. Was he still married to no. Bart Simpson? No. They got divorced, I think, in the late 90s. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Boomer, so, man. Yeah. <laughs> Their original title for the script was Played Dirty. Uh, which is a very famous, unknown script. Play dirty. Yeah. Uh, although many people thought that their script was brilliant, it was rejected by Silver, the studio and director Richard Donner, for being too dark and bloody, and because in the ending of the script, Riggs dies while they wanted to keep him alive in case of further sequels. Yeah, makes sense. But, oh, baby, I think Shane Black looked at this as his masterpiece, you know, because he, he had, at he this time, created, basically created the action movie. Yeah, yeah. And... He went on to still do stuff, but oh no, yeah, but this yeah. was what he thought like this was his magnum opus. Yeah, yeah. They also wanted the second film to focus more on comedy, while Blackstraff focused more on courage and heroics, like Riggs willing to die to protect Merton and his family because he loved them. Oh, yeah. When his script was rejected, Black felt that he had failed the producers. He initially offered to give his payment back, but his agent talked him out of it. Yeah, you know, did Chain Black do a lot of drugs back then? He had some personal problems, and I literally did, like, an hour's worth of research trying to figure out what it was, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't find anything. Okay. I mean, I'm not judging or anything, but a lot of guys had some issues back then. Yeah. And I'm just wondering. There were definitely substance issues, problems rampant throughout this film. (laughs) I'm not saying that it was changed. I don't want to disparage. Yeah. uh, Because he's an amazing writer. I mean, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. The, The thing is, the guy invented the genre and then reinvented the genre. 
Yeah. Well, and, yeah, because unfortunately some of the movies he wrote, like The Last Action Hero and The Long Kiss Goodnight, just did not translate as well on screen. Well, they were. Although he was paid a shit ton of money for them. He was faltering. Last Boy Scout didn't do as well. Yeah. It wasn't as fun. I think after this, he, he, he lost did, the yeah. fun. Well, but that, but it could be that, I mean, his this script, Play Dirty, was supposed to be really dark yeah. and brooding. I mean, maybe that was kind of what he brought into The Last Boy Scout, and it's like, oh, that's what it was. Right, but the thing about his movies that works so well is the mixture of the dark and the comedy. And you, and it, that's yeah. what's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or, right. or the Nice Guys. Did he write that? He did. He did. Mm-hmm. Which wrote, was great. Wrote and directed, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Both of those Iron movies. Man 3. Like, it was... Yeah, all great. Like, yeah. the guy knows story. He's really good. And, and really, The Long Kiss Goodnight was kind of a precursor of those because it does have some really funny stuff in that's it. That's the one with Gina Davis, right? Yeah, and, uh, and Samuel Sam, Jackson. That is yeah. a great movie. It's a great movie. It's yeah. just people weren't ready for it. People weren't ready for a no. woman action hero, unfortunately. I and know. that blows. And the last action hero, too... It wasn't a bad movie. It's a much better movie than people think. It was one of the first movies that got destroyed by its publicity yeah. rather than by its substance. People were more like, oh, the blow, look at this giant yeah. trillion dollar budget, and it only made right, $14 right. in its first day. Oh, Arnie's dead. Yeah, Everybody's dead. It. Career's done. over. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Like he was paid like $2.5 million for that script. It was the. Is Hollywood had to destroy that movie yeah. to, to sustain itself because they didn't want to start paying these enormous. Right. Payouts, you know, for actors and directors. It was getting out of yeah, control. Yeah. Everybody's making so much money, and the and the budgets were getting so big. So I think they kind of self-sabotaged. Yeah. Like, this is my yeah. own, like, yeah, conspiracy yeah, yeah. Your, theory thing. Your theory. Yeah, yeah. But I think that they, they kind of did that because they had to rein it in. Right, right. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so regardless, Shane Black did not have a bad career. I mean, he also did The Predator in 2018, which right. we still don't remember if it's good or not. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but yeah. I loved The Nice Guys, and I loved oh, Kiss, 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 Bang, Bang. Bang, Bang was and I will tell brilliant. you this, Iron Man 3 was my favorite Iron Man yeah. movie. Yeah. And the whole, like, F you, he's not putting on a suit. It was so refreshing, Iron Man yeah. 3, because... Both Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 was like, we're all building suits. I'm going to build yeah. a suit. Bad guy building a suit. More suits. suits against suits. Suits, 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 suits. And then this one was more like, hey, what happens when this guy who's been traumatized gets out of the suit and yeah. he doesn't have his arm, literal armor? Right, right, right. It was just interesting. And it was a nice was departure. Yeah. And also, if you're going to watch all the Marvel films in a yeah. big old lump, it's nice to have yeah. a little departure a little from breathing room. Yeah. building a bunch of Goddamn suits. And it, and it is. It actually deals really well with his past. And, like, yeah. it's not. It's good. Yeah. And the kid's great. It's yeah. just. And he does really good intergenerational relationships. Iron Man 3 is great. Yeah. It is. Shane Black uh, was. He's, he still has it. Yeah. Of course. And, yes. And it's just. I get it. I get writing something that you think is really great and it not getting that reception. And it's friggin' heartbreaking, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I know. I know. Uh, Black also refused to rewrite the script and quit from the project after working on working on it for six months. Hey, yeah, sometimes you got to cut and run because he it's, knew yeah. that he wasn't going to get the script he wanted. Right, right. It, was, it wouldn't end up being the movie that he wanted, and, and it would be something that that he would think would be inferior. Sure, and it and also kudos to him for doing that because it's also it's not the movie that Dick Donner wanted. Right, right. You know, he right. wanted something very different. He's not that dark a director. He can do dark. But yeah. he, 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 more than any other director that I can remember, can balance humor, action, darkness, and light. Oh, yeah. yeah in a way sure. that is so organic and doesn't seem ham-fisted. Right, right. Totally. 
Uh, Black later said how the problem with the second film was that they did too much comedy and how he dislikes the third and fourth films because of the way Riggs' character was changed. Yeah, I can get that. I mean, the third film, to me, the third film is the weakest of the bunch. I still enjoy it. I don't yeah. love it as much um, because I think the bad guys are completely... That's not the one with Jet Li. That's the fourth one, right? Yeah, that's why yeah. I like the fourth one. Because yeah. they, the third one is dirty cops, you know, making um, a... Making yeah. a uh, I haven't seen that construction. Forever. It's like yeah. all it's very, very comp- needlessly complicated, right, right? And it's not as fun. Okay. It wasn't as organic as the first two, right? And it's really going to stand out as, as because it's seamless as the first two movies. Yeah, are. yeah, yeah, totally. The final version of the script was written by Jeffrey Bohm and was used for filming was completely different from Black's draft. Boom. Other than the scene where the stilt house is destroyed. That was apparently originally Shane Black's idea. Well, sure. Yeah, I always had to have a big old set piece. That's a, they, they really took it to town. And what's really funny is Dick Donner was so smart. Like, for the third movie, he found out that they were going to demolish a building. Right, right. In, so, yeah. So, in, yeah, yeah. so he's like, well, can we put cameras on there? Let's get that. Put yeah, it in the movie. Yeah, let's do it. And I don't even know if they had a script at that point, but they shot <laughs> the whole thing about Probably not. saving the cat in the building <laughs> yeah. that blows up. And uh, he knows how to open a movie. That oh, yeah. Baby, this movie. Uh, that's what's so great about this movie is it starts oh, yeah, and it yeah. never yeah. stops. Yeah. Well, it, it, he learned because apparently the this that scene of the still house being destroyed cost him a half million dollars. Oh, yeah. Like just pulling that house down. Oh, yeah. Because they literally pulled a house down. They did. But that was Dick. Donner, yeah, yeah, man, they know, always gave him some crazy thing that he got to do. He's like, I want to do this. And Silver would be like, no, okay, fine. The two of them <laughs> together were, were magic. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. The character of Leo Getz was originally a minor character in Black's Draft with only one scene and very few lines of dialogue. Okay, 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 okay. Some of the other differences include more graphic violence throughout the script, which included the South Africans being even more vicious than in the final film. Well, that just seems like torture porn at this point because yeah. they were pretty vicious. Uh, at one point, Shapiro, the female police officer working with Riggs and Murtaugh, is tortured to death by them. Well, there you go. They're literally tortured. There was also a scene where Riggs gets tortured by them in a similar way to how he was in the first film, but much worse. I think Shane Black has a bit of a torture fetish. Uh, there was also an action scene in the script where a plane full of cocaine gets destroyed and cocaine falls over Los Angeles like snow. Now, that's the legendary scene that everybody yeah. talks about. Yeah. And the scene that I would just... Love yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. In Black script, the final battle took place on hills covered with a big brush fire, and after destruction of the stilt house, Riggs chases the main villain Benedict, a much different and more dangerous character in the, in the original script, and Riggs is arch nemesis and worst nightmare, according to Shane Black. Well, I mean, they still made him. He is in this movie. He still is. I mean, yeah. I mean, he literally killed everyone around him. <laughs> but what's, but what I like about this. Is the bad guys have personality. They're sadist, sadistic, uh, yeah, awful, yeah, yeah. crazy, whatever, but there's still humor. I love it when, you know, <laughs> they they kill the guy on the plastic in, in, in the in the consulate's office. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then he comes back in and, and he's he's looking around, he's looking around, he's like, What are you doing? Eh, to see if I'm standing on plastic. You and, know? Then it, and then it cuts. There's nothing else. It just cuts after yeah. that and goes to the next scene. But it's, it's like, just, no. it's like, it makes sense. Or when he's yelling at them to pick up the fish. <laughs> pick them up with your hands. Pick them up with your hands. Uh, Riggs, uh, at the end of the script, uh, black script, Riggs follows Benedict into the heart of the fire, after which Riggs gets stabbed and dies slowly from his wounds. Ugh. 
The last scene in the script was Murtaugh watching the videotape that Riggs made before the final battle since he knew he was going to die, in which he says goodbye to Murtaugh. Hey, Roger. So sad. Riggs here. Uh, I knew I was going to die, so I made this video for you and your family. And I, in my gold pen, I gave you my gold pen. <laughs> and oh. my chili recipe. And my dog. Uh, <laughs> and, and my dog. And Sam. Sam. Good oh, Sam. Sam. Good boy. Uh, Black's reason for killing Riggs in his draft of the script, as he said in an interview, was that in the first film, Riggs was a suicidal mess who did not care about living or dying, but his friendship with Murtaugh and his family was what helped him, and him sacrificing himself to save them would be the last thing he would have to do to be fully at peace. Yeah, okay. Like, he couldn't just be like, thanks for making my family? No, but I get it. I mean, if he's trying to make a big... You know, yeah, autistic. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Daniel it's Wall. A big, it's a of, big dramatic yeah. moment. Of you know, it's like I yeah. mean, it pays off. It's a much, but it's a different film. It's it's this right. is a this right. isn't Lethal Weapon. Uh, Black also said how the death scene he wrote for Riggs was beautiful and would make the audience cry. Black later labeled his rejected play dirty script the best thing I ever wrote and said he learned to trust his instincts after this experience. Well, good. I mean, good because he's still a great writer, yeah. and, I, and I would yeah. love to read that script. And I'm sure. That that would have been a really good movie. I'm sure that oh, the yeah. script is great. Yeah. yeah, but you know, it would have been more of the same, right? Yeah. Because the first one's pretty dark, if you remember. I mean, yeah. Yeah. there's humor and stuff. I mean, but, but he Riggs has a gun in his mouth throughout a third uh, he, of the film. Yeah, he yeah, it's suicidal mess. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's they slowly create this friendship that makes him want to live, gives mm-hmm. him something to live for, and it's organic and it's great. And what is beautiful about this sequel is instead of, like I've said before, them starting out with, oh, well, they, they're not partners anymore, right, right, and they're not right. friends, and somehow we got to get them back together because yeah. there's some stupid manufactured no, crap yeah. that, that they're not going to be friends for well, the first act, and then the second act they'll come together, and then the third act they'll be best friends again, and we have to wait for that. They didn't make us wait. No, no. From the first shot, <laughs> we see how incredibly Riggs fun their relationship is. <laughs> They're a married couple, man. From it's that so first great. opening scene, it just shows. <laughs> it's so great. Yes. Uh, Black Script was never released, and despite attempts by fans to find a copy of it, it remains hidden away in the ether, Weird. never to be seen. I mean, we could find Dark Skies and other mythic scripts. It's- I'm guessing that he he apparently... I'm, I'm thinking that because it was just Donner and one of the executives and somebody else, there's just not very many copies of it. Well, I'm and sure so he has. Hopefully... Well, yeah, but he just won't, he doesn't want to release it. I know, but maybe as he gets older and... You know, Donner's gone, and yeah. Joel Silver's still alive and kicking, working, <laughs> 70 years old. But uh, but I think maybe he will release it eventually. I, maybe. As a book, maybe. I, that would be interesting. Do I mean, it, I, novelize it. Do like Novelize with, it, like what Tarantino did. Exactly. Yeah. With, uh, yeah, I with can't wait to read that book. I, I, I have a copy of it. Do you? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you didn't know that. No. I haven't read it yet, but Can I have I read a copy it? of it. Yeah, of course. Uh, next yeah. book. Yeah, I, yeah, that's great. Uh, so director Richard Donner said that the film was shot in such a way that it could be edited with two different endings, one in which Riggs dies and one in which he lives. Audiences and test screenings responded well to Riggs' r- survival. And of course. This, I know. <laughs> and this was kept, though the last shot in the film with the camera moving away from Murtaugh holding Riggs was shot for the ending in which he dies. No, no. The rewrites that resulted in the final film are by Jeffrey Bohm. Bohm's first film work was a rewrite of the film Straight Time, Starring Dustin Hoffman, Teresa Russell, Gary Busey, Harry Dean Stanton, M. Emmett Walsh, and Kathy Bates. Hey, Gary Busey here. I was in uh, Lethal Weapon 1. I, I've never heard of Straight Time. I have no idea what this movie it's is. It's a good movie. Okay. Yeah. 
he then adapted Stephen King's novel The Dead Zone, directed by David Cronenberg, who also did some revisions on Bohm's script. Oh, such a good movie. Great movie. Bohm came up with the episodic structure of the film after a King-written adaptation was deemed too brutal by Cronenberg. Oh, from, by Cronenberg? <laughs> I know. Oh, I, I want to read that. I want to read that. Yeah, script. they they had originally hired Bohm to do it, and then they decided to have King do an adaptation. They were like, oh, no. Wow. King out Cronenberg yeah. Cronenberg. Yeah. That's impressive. Uh, King is reported to have told Cronenberg that changes the director and Bohm made to the story improved and intensified the power of the narrative. Yeah. So he, he liked the script. Although later Bohm would say Bohm wasn't put his name wasn't promoted as much and they think it, he thinks it's because King was like well they didn't like my draft or my my script so like kind of poo poo you and hey maybe King was I, kind of a coked out jerk back then that's true at this time he definitely was. admittedly by him not, I'm not saying I'm <laughs> no not no disparaging he, yes, my yes. the my favorite writer of all time but uh, but yeah. I, it's one of the best Stephen King adaptations. Oh, agreed. And it's 100% Jeffrey Bohm. Like, he he wanted to keep the episodic structure, because he saw the epi- episodic structure in the novel, mm-hmm. but everyone wanted to make it more, you know, like, movie-like and connected, and he was like, no, no, just keep the structure. Like, and the absolute brilliant casting of... Oh, my God. Uh, it's great. Christopher Walken. Oh, my God, great. Great. And it has one of the most brutal scenes I've yeah. ever seen in a movie. With some skizzers. No. <laughs> the scissors. In his face. <laughs> so, Bohm would go on to write the following scripts after that. Uh, Inner Space in 1987. Nice. The Lost Boys in 1987. Excellent. Uh, Funny Farm in 1988, starring Chevy Chase. Yeah. Uh, and Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade in 1989. Excellent. And I will have to say, Funny Farm is one of Chevy Chase's funnier movies yeah. of his lesser funny movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he had that string yeah, of, of just kind of crap. Yeah. But this one was kind of funny. This was the one where he moves to the country with his wife to write a novel yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and then has a fight with a squirrel and yeah. the small town. Oh, oh, this one's great because they, like, pay this small town to be nice to them to try right, to sell their house right, or whatever. Right, And then they all becoming friends in the end. But, uh, <laughs> but it, was, it was pretty good. It was, a, it was funny. It was a clever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a clever I movie. remember enjoying it. It was written well. All of these scripts are written Oh, yeah, yeah. And he didn't, most of them had co-writers. He wasn't the only one. But but I think they were mostly his ideas. (laughs) Anyway, I just didn't include it. I don't, hey, man, I want to give people credit where credit's due. I get it. I just am not going to know their names. (laughs) Boam. Boam would would find more success in the 90s by moving into TV. Uh, He wrote the Witches of Eastwick TV series in 1992. I do not remember that. I kind of do. I I don't, uh, barely. Kind of, yeah, I love the movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I, yeah, they tried. Uh, but he also wrote The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. in 1993. Oh, such an underrated Western series. And that's with uh, uh, the Evil Dead guy, right? Yeah. Bruce Campbell. Yeah, yeah Bruce Campbell. And it was uh, co-created by Carlton Cuse of oh, Lost so Fame. fun, yeah. It was a fantastic oh, show. So I had another one that's ahead of its yeah, time. way it ahead of its yeah. time. But he co-created it with Carlton Cuse. Good for yeah. him. Uh, he also wrote an episode of Tales from the Crypt in 1993, which he also directed. Uh, he wrote The Phantom, starring Billy Zane in 1996. Tales from the Crypt is on the TV in Lethal Weapon 2. Because uh, Dick Donner and Laura Shula Donner uh, produced, produced a bunch it. of the episodes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, This Phantom was his last movie before he died on January 24th in the year 2000 due to a heart failure from a rare lung disease. So sad. And yeah. sad that that was his last movie because that's the worst of the bunch. It's not a great movie. Yeah. It tried. It was just they were running out of superhero yeah, yeah. Because uh, they were always trying to do something weird or different with superheroes at that time. There was 
Batman, yeah. and there were a lot of Batman knockoffs. But then there were like the 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 spirit and yeah, there it was, was it was all these old like serial comic mm-hmm. serial guys yeah. that were trying to bring back. A lot of it too was because they could only do so much with the DC properties, and the yeah. Marvel properties were all tied up in legal crap. So like they couldn't make any Marvel movies. And as much as I love Billy Zane. He's too, and I, and I, Billy Zane, I mean this with the most love and respect. You're too slimy. Yeah. As a, yeah. You, you, paid, you, you played too many slime balls. Yeah. You see you're too slimy to be a hero. I'm sorry. You're a beautiful, handsome, beautiful man. And great he, actor. And he plays slimy really well. But you nailed slimy too hard. Yeah. And it's hard to see as anything else. A little pigeonholed, yeah. I mean, look, yeah. you went back to slimy for Titanic, so. He did. He knows he was where, great in that. Of yeah. course, because yeah. he's one of the best slimes in the world. You know who the new, uh. Uh, the, the new Billy Zane is? Justin Long. <laughs> He's so good at being a douche. <laughs> the difference, though, is that I would actually still kind of want to hang out with Justin Long. I don't think I'd want to hang out with Billy Zane. <laughs> he's too pretty. I'm sure he's fine, but yeah. I, I just don't know if I'd want to sit down and hang out with but him. But he's so pretty. He's just so, yeah. like, so he is. good looking. He's a very handsome man. Yeah. His sister was an actor as well. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. She was in a lot of stuff in the 70s that and 80s. was Jenny Zane? I forget her first name. I don't know. But she was in a... Yeah. She, was, she did all right. She's okay. very beautiful. Cool. She was a good actor. Uh, so Bohm also did some uncredited rewriting of the script for the first film when Donner thought that some parts of it were too dark and violent. Uh, Bohm initially wrote two different drafts of his rewrite for Lethal Weapon 2, one which was a hard-rolled action script and one which had more comedy. He was told to mix the two drafts together and make the new one that was going to be used for filming. Yeah, a lot easier said than done, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, however, not only did Bohm end up having to rewrite the script many times even before filming started, but he also had to keep rewriting it during production since Donner would always want to improvise something new in a scene or demand changes to be made in the script in the middle of filming. That's <laughs> so Richard Donner, his sets were so much fun. People were having a blast, especially, yeah. of course, yeah, you know, drunken, horrible Mel Gibson, we all know, but this is before and... He was sober at the time, and he was also a very Mel Gibson? Fun, yeah. He was not. Really? No. He drank five pints of beer every morning. Really? He admitted this to, to Dick Donner, and Dick Donner was shocked because he was always on time, and he was always professional. Well... But that dude was soused through okay. the entire movie. At that time, he was really conscious about having fun on set. Like, there's yeah. a reason why Jodie Foster loves him. There's a reason yeah. why... Yeah. He and Danny Glover were such good friends. It's just, there was just this fun atmosphere of collaboration, jokes. It was loose and light, and it it translates onto screen. You could tell that they were having a blast. Oh, yeah, yeah. All of them. Well, that's what totally. Dick Donner is so open to improv and and people bringing things to the table and him running with them. Yeah. Like it was a very open, creative space. He is a big, booming teddy bear. You know, from, (laughs) you know, he's, he's, Look, the man was around for a long time. Yep. He had his demons as well, too. Sure, sure. But, you know, once he married Lauren, and Lauren Schuler Donner, mm-hmm. and they started working together, it's just they had such a great working relationship. The golden years between Silver and the Donners. Yeah, yeah. They, they, there was nothing that they could do wrong. And Gibson, you know, it was basically yeah, yeah. they up until Conspiracy Theory. I think that was their last. Yeah, yeah. You know. Which wasn't very good, but yeah, it was. It was. It wasn't bad. It was fine. Yeah, looking on it again, it's better. Yeah, at the time, it was a little. Yeah. But uh, but still, it just seems like they had a really 
really fun time making this movie. Yeah, yeah. So Jeffrey Bohm also wrote the script for Lethal Weapon 3 and once again had to do a bunch of rewrites. Uh, he was actually asked to rewrite his own script with Robert Mark Kamen, the creator of the Karate Kid franchise. Wow. Well, they should have rewritten that one a few more times. Uh, this is interesting, though, and this is the only reason I brought this up, was because he was credited as screenplay by Jeffrey Bohm and screenplay by Jeffrey Bohm and Robert Mark Kamen. <clears throat> he was the one of the first persons to ever have a double credit screenplay by credit in a film weird because he wrote the original draft and then he had to rewrite the second one but he wrote with him so oh. he got both ah and then the publicity department warner brothers thought it was a misprint so they get story by and there are posters you can find now that they had actually recalled oh, wow. and destroyed that are very rare but if you can get a story by Jeffrey Bohm for Lethal Weapon 3, it's worth a lot of money. Check your Lethal Weapon 3. Yeah. I used to have a Lethal Weapon 3 poster. I wonder if it was a bomb. Because I, I got mean, it actually yeah. from The Office. Oh, it's possible then, uh, yeah. I used to get so much great swag from the oh, yeah. Donner Schuler. Because oh. every one of my friends except for me worked for them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, the pro- who's this weirdo? <laughs> Why is he just in my hanging house? Out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, just know you everybody. Were, you were Leo Getz? Yeah. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Uh, Robert Mark Kamen actually rewrote large chunks of Lethal Weapon 2 as well, uh, but did not receive any credit for that. No. Yeah, but it's okay. I know. I'm sure he's probably just on set and was rewriting things. Uh, Bohm also wrote an unused draft for the fourth film around January 1995, which had Riggs and Murtaugh fighting against a neo-Nazi survivalist militia group that was committing a terrorist attack in L.A. that ended up not (laughs) being used. Yeah, Yeah. that's a lot. I liked 4. I thought 4 was really fun. I, I, you know, this is the funny thing, and I, I said this when we were watching it. There's so many things that happen in Lethal Weapon 2 that I yeah. think are from the other movies. Well, there's too much. It, there's so much jammed into I, that movie that it just but makes it me, works. It makes me not remember what actually happened in the other movies. Right, right. <laughs> like, it's, well, it's everything that didn't happen in 2. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I remember Jet Li in the fourth one. That's really all I remember. Jet Li and Uncle Benny, and, and how they're every, all in the... Everyone was like, oh, come on, really? If Mel Gibson fought him, he would be killed instantly. Oh, yeah. Well, it's called a movie. I know. But I there's know. that hilarious scene in the dentist's office with Uncle Benny when they're all on gas. And oh, yeah. That yeah, that's right. He finally spills the beans that Chris Rock's having the oh, baby. Yeah, your series. baby's having my baby. Your baby's having my baby. That's right. And they're laughing. That's oh, true. That's, so that's great. funny. Uh, so, okay, obviously, Mel Gibson was de- <laughs> Detective Mark- Martin Riggs. He had to audition six times. Six times. For the, for the sequel, yeah. Six times. They were going to give it to uh, the guy that played Ernest, Jim Varney. Uh, Jim Varney. Yeah, he was very popular at the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, 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 Riggs. <laughs> uh, Gibson did only one movie between Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2. It was Tequila Sunrise in 1988, directed by Robert Town, also starring Michelle Pfeiffer, Kurt Russell, Raul Julia, and J.T. Walsh. It was a f- fun film. I like that film. Uh, it's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. I remember seeing this because I loved Lethal Weapon. Yeah. I remember seeing Tequila Sunrise and hating it oh, because yeah. it well, wasn't Lethal Weapon. Yeah, well, you were pretty young, probably. I was. I and, was. You know, it's not, it's not a lot of action. It's basically no, it's, yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer owns a restaurant, yeah. and Mel Gibson is a frequent Diner. customer yeah. of that restaurant, like yeah. one of their best. He's And he used to run drugs or whatever. And uh, uh, Kurt Russell is a cop, yeah. and he's after him, and... And they're right. both after Michelle Pfeiffer. And I just remember them being hot and sweaty and then, like, a lot of talking. A lot of talking about sand daps. Yeah. I, have the sand daps. Have, have a bite of the sand daps. Let me make <laughs> you the sand daps. I've never heard the, the term. <laughs> sand daps? I don't even know what that is. It's a, apparently, it's a food. Some food? Okay. Some seafood. Some sand daps. Have the sand daps. 
Uh, so we could go in forever on Mel Gibson and his career, but uh, did you know that he acted in seven movies that came out in 2022? I do. And the only reason why I do is because they're all on Hulu right now. <laughs> uh, he was in a movie called Last Looks, also starring Charlie Hunnam and Marina Baccarin, Rupert yep. Friend, Dominic Monaghan, and Clancy Brown. He was in the movie Panama, also starring Cole Hauser. I just got to tell you that. I'm going to interrupt for one second sure. because I'm, I'm not kidding about these all being on one. Mm. I don't know if it's Hulu, but there is. There is a streaming service. That has basically all of these. And as you go by, it's like CIA agent, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, CIA yeah. agent. They're all bad. It's yeah. all CIA agent, you know. Right. And then him, just wild-eyed, gray. Uh, Panama currently has an 8% tomato rating on Rotten Tomatoes. No. So it's a really good movie. Uh, Agent Game, also starring Dermot Mulroney and Jason Isaacs. I like those guys. Uh, Father Stu, also starring Mark Wahlberg. F that Which, movie. Uh, did you watch it? No. Okay, so here's the weird thing. It was released in April of last year, and then recut and re-released in December. Yeah, it's still not going to be good. You I, know, it's just a... It's like, I think it's based on a true story, and the actual guy that it's based on yeah. is not that great a guy from what I know, but... Uh, 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 but it's, it's it's the only movie on this list that I actually know. <laughs> yeah, but it, Mark Wahlberg plays this. Ooh, he's he, he curses a lot, but he's a priest. He's yeah, a foul mouthed yeah. priest. Right, ooh, right, baby. Right. And I don't know. Mel Gibson's a guy. Mel and Gibson, then, I think, plays his dad. Probably. Yeah. And then oh, because he's playing everybody. I think he played his dad in those. Daddy. Yeah, in the Daddy's Home 2 or yeah. whatever. I think he was in that one, yeah. Yeah, he and Mark Wahlberg. I guess they always play daddies. It was the sequel because they bring in their dads, and yep. it's the two. And I don't remember John who Lithgow. plays the John Lithgow. Yeah, so funny. Look at you. Uh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I, look, I I haven't seen – I've seen a couple of movies that Gibson's done that are still pretty good. Look, regardless, the guy's talented. You sure, know? sure. He, he, just because you're an a-hole doesn't suck the talent away from you. He's still a good director, and he's still a great actor. And, you know, somebody who can portray pain and anguish so well on screen, that guy's been it's through some mess. Probably drinking five pints of beer yeah. every morning. And I don't, like I said, I'm not excusing his behavior. I'm right. just saying, you know, he effed up. He doesn't seem like he's that guy anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's still working. He's, he's still doing stuff. Seems like he tried to kind of atone for it. Yeah. We give people second chances all the time. If if he's changed, he deserves a second chance. Well, if he hasn't, he does not. There's a very good possibility, from what I read, that he's directing the, the fifth Lethal Weapon movie. I hope so. I would love to see him and Danny Glover together yeah. again. The chemistry between those two actors is palpable. Yeah. Say what you will. The, it. it I'm I'm talking between like male, female, anything. Yeah, yeah. The chemistry between Danny Glover and Mel Gibson is magic. It's really great. And it's Donner really knew that he, the first film he saw that magic. Yeah, oh yeah. And there and look, I think he was right about changing the script for yeah. two because the magic of the movie is the relationship between the two of them, the the back and right. forth, the 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 jokes, the this, the that, the puns, the right, ridiculousness. Right, right. And that's the core and the heart of this movie and with Without that, we don't care. Yeah. No, agreed. Agreed. Uh, so Danny Glover was Detective Roger Murtaugh. Uh, Glover only did one movie between Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2. It was Bat 21 in 1988, also starring Gene Hackman. Great movie. Uh, Great movie. I've never seen it. Yeah, it's a Vietnam movie. Yeah. Um, I think it's Vietnam. Yeah. E yes, I believe so. And uh, I think Hackman gets like, or one of them gets, gets behind enemy behind lines. Behind lines. And yeah, Bat 21, yeah. Bat 21. And the right. other one like tries to save him. It's really great. 
Okay. Uh, Glover can most recently be seen in Press Play, a film based on the novel from Josh Boone, who did The Fault in Our Stars and New Mutants. Uh, An American Dreamer, starring Peter Dinklage, Shirley MacLaine, Matt Dillon, and Danny Pudi. Nice. Uh, Yeah, those both came out this last year. Uh, He's still working like crazy. He's amazing. He does a bunch of TV stuff. Like, he's just constantly working. Yeah, and from all I've heard, a really great guy. Yeah. A super sweet guy. I mean, and look, they're partnership Glover and Gibson is legendary and they even like in Maverick the yeah. western remake there's a great scene with the cameo between <laughs> yeah. you know he's a bank robber they run into each other and they, oh. they're looking at each other and then and Glover pulls down his mask and they're looking at each other and then you hear the meow, meow, meow. yeah it was great it was so great yeah I mean people love seeing them together and yeah. they were great together Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so Joe Pesci was cast as Leo Getz. Okay. 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 <laughs> in the 1960s, Pesci began working as a barber following in his mother's footsteps. At the same time, he tried to start a musical career playing guitar with several bands, including Joey D and the Starlighters, who introduced the Peppermint Twist record dance in Peppermint Lounge in New York City. His life just seems like a 1950s Broadway show or something. You it's know, so bizarre. It just has that, like, it's just so weird. It, and <laughs> In 1968, he released his debut album, Little Joe Sure Can Sing. Little Joe Sure Can Sing. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Frost Radio Hour, and we have Little Joe Sure Can Sing. Yeah, he was billed as Joe Ritchie. Uh, he sang covers of contemporary pop hits. Yeah, I'm going to sing a pop I wouldn't be surprised if you possibly had it somewhere in his collection. I might have it. I have a bunch I of be my surprised. dad's old records, and I could have that. Uh, Pesci later joined Frank Vincent as a comedy duo perform- performing as Vincent and Pesci from 1970 to 1976. Oh, so great. Frank Vincent, you know who he is. He was in most of Scorsese's movies. He always plays a mob guy. Yeah. Uh, and the two of them, the, you see a little bit of that in Goodfellas, because he's in Frank Vincent's yeah, in Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah. And whenever the two of them get together, you see a little bit <laughs> of that, oh, the comedy, the whoa. Uh, their acts coupled Abbott and Costello-inspired double-act a- antics with Don Rickles-style insult comedy, which proved popular with crowds. During this time, both men developed a strong professional and personal friendship with one another. Oh, yeah. Uh, in 1975, they appeared in the Broadway show The New Vaudevillians, which only lasted one week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first film Pesci starred in was the 1976 low-budget crime film The Death Collector, alongside Frank Vincent. Yeah, the Death Collector! <laughs> After the film, Pesci returned to the Bronx and lived above Amici's restaurant, where he was an employee. Hey, what do you want? Baked potato? I don't... I don't I, he literally started working in, a, like, a pizza place. Like, yeah. just blows... You gotta do what his, you gotta do. His life was fascinating. Yeah, well, that's that was being a New York actor back yeah, then. Yeah, that's One true. One day you're on Broadway, and the next day you're, you're making pizzas. Making pizza, yeah. In 1979, Pesci received a telephone call from Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro, who were impressed with his performance in The Death Collector, and asked him to co-star in Scorsese's Raging Bull as Joey LaMotta. Hey, this is Martin Scorsese in uh, Robert De Niro. We want you to be in the movie. Why are you guys both calling me at the same time? It's weird. <laughs> Can you imagine just getting a phone call randomly? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm making pizzas. What are you doing? Uh, we're going to make a movie. <laughs> I'll see if I can get the time off. <laughs> Pesci won the BAFTA Film Award for Newcomer to Leading Film Roles in 1981. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Which he should have won. That is a, yeah. such a brilliant performance. I don't know who he lost to, um, but yes, agreed. He should have won. You for my wife? You for my wife? Wait, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, he was so good. Oh, my God. The, the two of them together, again, Pesci is such an incredible actor. He, in Goodfellas... He and De Niro have 
have this. Hey, they have a chemistry too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's a beautiful, wonderful chemistry. It's not as much fun. I mean, it's no, fun, no. but it's not as much fun as the Gibson uh, Glover. Oh, right, right. But it's just like you see, you see Joe Pesci in Goodfellas versus Joe Pesci in Lethal Weapon, and it's yeah, night yeah. and day. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Same little guy, same kind of, you oh, know, no. same, I mean, but the energy, yeah. it, there's nothing, there is not one ounce of intimidation in Leo Getz. No, Leo Getz no. is a puppy dog. He's a little <laughs> chihuahua yipping at your knuckle. You know, he's just a cute little guy. I, it's getting so close to everybody all the time, talking yeah. to him. Hey, 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 hey nice. yeah, hey. what are you doing? Okay, okay, okay. Just such a sweet little, you know, getting pushed around. He, and He wants to do the right thing exactly. so bad. He wants to be liked. And, yeah, in Goodfellas, oh my God, he is so menacing. Oh, he's you know he's funny, but there is nothing uh, lambish about him. No, he no. is just a frightening sociopath. I mean, it's just the guy is amazing. I, I I really hope he starts doing more stuff again. I mean, he did do the uh, Irishman, Irishman yeah. but that's been years, a few couple. Two thousand nineteen. So yeah, like three yeah. four years. Yeah, he's great. I I really honestly believe that it's with with him having this chemistry with all these people that it's uh it's really just him. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just good at that. Honestly, you know? he probably would just rather play golf and smoke cigars and not be bothered. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's where he is right now. I don't blame him. No, that's where he is. Yeah. In nineteen eighty eight, Pesci had appeared in the Michael Jackson musical anthology film Moonwalker in the film's sixth and longest segment, Smooth Criminal. Oh yeah. He played the antagonist. Crime boss Frankie, Mr. Big Ladio. Smooth criminal. Yeah. Uh, I just love the fact that he was in Moonwalker. Mr. Big Ladio. I distinctly remember him in that. Yeah. In, in the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 1999, shortly after finishing Lethal Weapon 4, Pesci announced his retirement from acting to focus on his musical career. Nice. He would go on to release two more albums. Vincent LaGuardia Gambini sings Just For You in 1998 and Pesci still singing in 2019. Uh, I wish he would have done Pesci, exclamation point. <laughs> little Joe is back. <laughs> yeah, Little Joe. Uh, despite retiring, he had a cameo in The Good Shepherd in 2006, directed by Robert De Niro. Of course. Uh, had a starring role in Love Ranch in 2010, a film by Taylor Hackfield, Hackford. Excuse me. Did a voice in the Russian animated film Sava, Heart of a Warrior, in 2016, and made a full comeback to acting in Scorsese's The Irishman in 2019. Nice. So it's, it's still a... I mean, because then right after that was the pandemic so who knows he could be acting again he could not sure. i mean well he's just gonna do whatever the hell he wants <laughs> yeah, i mean it seems like he does scorsese stuff yeah or i De mean nero yeah. stuff if those guys want him yeah I, I i'm sure he would be willing to come back for lethal weapon five uh, with gibson i hope so he his chemistry with those two was so brilliant and so great and it's so difficult to have a three-way yeah chemistry yeah yeah just i was watching it this time just thinking how much fun it would have been to f- watch them film this. Yeah. How hard yes. it would have been to keep a straight face because it is laugh out loud funny. Oh, yeah. And not in an organic, it's an organic laugh yeah. out loud funny. It's like hanging out with funny people or people that are just, they, he does such a great job of conveying what it's like to hang out with your best friend. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, this is the the brilliant thing with Joe Pesci is that uh, the character originally Leo Getz was written to be this kind of slimy like sale like snake oil salesman. Sure, yeah. Well, he was only going to be in it for a little bit, and he decided to make it this super annoying like I got to I got to get everybody's approval and the the okay 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 like that was all Joe Pesci. Yeah, it was well, all Joe Pesci, and it just guaranteed him coming back for the sequels. Oh, because yeah. it was originally written as a small little yeah one little part thing. Yeah. What's so brilliant about this movie is. 
every st- a usually there's like an A story and a B story, but this like the A story and the B story they all converge on the same story. Right. A, B, and C are all the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. if they seem dis- dis- disparate, disparate at first. Yeah. yeah. Because you know you get Leo gets you're like oh why are we we are we taking the speed bump with them having right the, right you know it, watch this I guy mean, they even say it in the movie they're like yeah. this is not what we should be doing I don't give an f yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh Steve can oh he's so good uh, so Joss Ackland played uh, I don't know I Arjun Rudd. Arjun. Uh, our Aryan Rudd, or however he's pronounced as as Gibson I have said many times the community. Uh, uh, he has appeared in more than 130 films and television programs. Her, his first credit role was in 1950, and his last was in 2014. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ackland and his wife, Rosemary, were married for 51 years. Good Lord. Uh, they had seven children, 32 grandchildren, eight great-grandchildren. Yeah, they sounds like the grandchildren dropped the ball and having babies. Well, they were probably all Gen Xers. They didn't want to have kids. <laughs> it's like, family's too big already. Uh, despite his filming taking him to far-flung locations, he said Rosemary and he were hardly ever apart. Uh, in 1963, their house in Barnes caught fire. Yeah. Rosemary saved their five children but broke her back when jumping from the bedroom window. Good God. She was told she would miscarry and never walk again. She was pregnant, but later gave Thanks birth. For that. <laughs> I should have put that beforehand. Uh, yeah. But later gave birth, and after 18 months in Stoke Mandeville Hospital, walked again. Yeah, that must have been the hellish 18 months. Ah, oh, would have been bad. Because that's back in the 1963, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, mm. She was in that horrible traction. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, it was, uh, oh, poor lady. Their eldest son, Paul, died of a heroin overdose in 1982 at the age of 29. Oh. In 2000, Rosemary was diagnosed with motor neuron disease. She died on July 25th, 2002. Oh. In 2020, Eklund participated in the Letters Live project, and it was recorded from his home in Clovelly, Devon, in England. His letter reflected on the COVID-19 crisis and his hopes for how the country would could draw strength from adversity. Nice. He's still around at age 94. Man. He doesn't act anymore, but 20, he's around. But 20 years... Lost his wife 20 years ago. Man. That's just crazy to me. Like, you're with somebody for 50 years. And I, then you got to spend another 20 was, without him. My great-grandmother was married to her husband for 40 years. Yeah. And he died when she was like 65, and she lived to be almost 100. Yeah. Almost 35. Almost the exact same time. Like, that, when I figured that out, it blew my mind. It's crazy. Being yeah. with somebody for so long and being without them for so long, it's just crazy. Time is weird. Um... So Derek O'Connor was Pieter Vorstedt. Uh, O'Connor is best known for working with Terry Gilliam on three of his films. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, Jabberwocky in 1977, Time Bandits in 1981, and Brazil in 1985. Uh, Gilliam has noted in his audio commentaries that O'Connor seemed to have a habit of relinquishing most of his dialogue in favor of physical character humor. Well, he did not like to memorize lines. (laughs) I don't blame him. It's like, look, I I like smoking a lot of weed, (laughs) and I don't like memorizing lines. Uh, no, notable examples include Time Bandits, in which his character's dialogue was resorted to simple grunts, while the Maid Marian character translated for him. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just joking about the weed thing. I oh, don't yeah, want to I don't know if he judgment. smokes weed or not. And in Brazil, in which O'Connor scrapped all of his character's dialogue and simply repeated the dialogue of Bob Hoskins' character. He's <laughs> so great. Uh, he unfortunately died on June 29th, 2018, of pneumonia in Santa Barbara, California, at the age of 77. He was so good in this movie He's because great. he was a likable horrible bad guy you should hate him for everything that he's done but right. there's just something watchable and you know yeah yeah seeing if i'm standing with some plastic you yeah know, it's yeah. just like he's yeah he's great in this movie hey there i killed your wife the the you know when that's, he's that scene that scene 
And oh man, and Gibson that scene. Oh yeah. Like, but he is so br- it's brilliant, brilliant scene. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, Patsy Kensett was uh, cast as Rika van den Haas. Van den Haas. Van den Haas. She's Dutch. Uh, originally, the character Rika was intended to survive, with the last scene in the film being Riggs and Rika eating Thanksgiving dinner with the Murtaugh's. But Donner <laughs> decided to kill the character to increase Riggs' motivation to destroy the South African drug smugglers. So it's brilliant. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. And having oh this, the guy kill his wife and his new girlfriend. Yeah. It just. And the reveal of yeah. her being dead. Oh. Chilling. Best acting she did in the whole movie. Chilling. Oh. (laughs) Harsh. She was good. She She was was great. She was was just, the problem was, there's so many larger-than-life characters in that film, and she's very understated. She is. She is. And, you know, very normal and real. But it's (laughs) just. Not not just a big cartoon. She held her own, though. She was was good. She was good. I was crazy. Uh, Kenza began her career as a child actor. She gained attention when she acted in a string of commercials for Bird's Eye Frozen Peas. Nice. Yeah. Uh, she then went on to appear in the films The Great Gatsby in 1974, adapted by Francis Ford Coppola and starring Robert Redford. Yeah, that was a snoozer. Uh, Gold in 1974, starring Roger Moore. Uh, Alfie Darling in 1975, the sequel to the 1966 film Alfie, but without Michael Caine. Yeah, weird. <laughs> That's like making Batman without Batman. Yeah. Uh, the Bluebird, 1976, directed by George Cooker. Ooh. And Hanover Street, 1979, written and directed by Peter Hyams and starring Harrison Ford, Leslie Ann Down, and Christopher Plummer. As a young man and a huge Harrison Ford fan, <laughs> when I found that, because I was like, I watched anything he was in once yeah. I discovered Star Wars and how much mm-hmm. I love that guy. And I found Hanover Street. Oh, video no. store, and I'm like, oh, yeah, man. Oh, no. World War II, it's Harrison Ford. <laughs> I love Guns and, or, yeah, Guns and Navarone. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, Force 10, I'm sorry. Force, Force 10, 10 from Navarone was Force the one from that, Navarone, yeah. that he was in. Ooh, no, love story. No, and yeah. Real slow. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy <laughs> real don't slow. like. Jimmy <laughs> don't like. Balancing a dual career as both an actress and a singer in 1983, Kensett formed and became the lead singer of the pop band Eighth Wonder. It's <laughs> a pretty bold name, by the way. Yeah, I know. Uh, the group produced several successful singles, including I'm Not Scared and Cross My Heart before their split in 1989. Oh, it was devastating. It was devastating when, when the Eighth Wonder broke You up. literally had to look back down because you couldn't remember the it broke the band. <laughs> well, because I blocked it out because it broke my heart. Uh, during the scene where he drags her back to his trailer and then he's like getting her the beer, one of the Eighth Wonder songs is actually playing. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. When he relentlessly forces oh him to come. I'm going to uh, hold your basket and scream. All right. Easy oh, there, God. buddy. Well, it, it worked, apparently. Well, yeah. And it... Uh, it went on to show a bunch of young gentlemen the exact wrong way to approach <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, she continues to work in film and TV, most recently appearing in Renegades and the long-running British soap opera EastEnders, which has currently aired 6,628 episodes. Damn. Since 1987, I think. Uh, it's, at a, it's a soap opera, rotating cast. But, uh, yeah, uh, she's still acting. She's still doing stuff. Good. Uh, Darlene Love was cast as Trish Murtaugh. Uh, her given name is Darlene Wright. She began singing as a child. This is uh, Murtaugh's wife. So, I mean, technically she was in the first one. She wasn't really yeah. cast in no. the part. She, she was asked to come back. All the kids. Uh, I believe they were all the same. Yeah, throughout yeah. the entire yeah. run. I, I'm yeah. not sure about, I'm pretty sure about four, but I think they brought them all back. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and the son was a, a major part in part three. three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the, the daughter, too, because she continues her acting career. And uh, oh, yeah. there's yeah. a big scene in... Our neighborhood, basically. Oh yeah, that's right. With that the old barrel. Uh, oh yeah, the uh, next to the old Odyssey video. Yeah, which is which is now the 
Oh my God! It's in Lancashire and yeah, it's right behind Zombie Joe's. Yep. It's uh, it, it's a bar now, and I used to go there a lot, but I don't go there anymore. But for the longest time, it was this old barrel bar. It, looked, it was shaped like a barrel, but yeah. it was closed down. For, it was closed for like, like thirty 20, years, twenty five years. Yeah, uh, but they shot there. It was really cool to see that, them uh, in our because I yeah. lived in that, that neighborhood, neighborhood yeah, when yeah. it happened. I mean, I lived on the street. Yeah. It was, I could I walked to that liquor store that they oh, went yeah. to, you know, <laughs> all the time. It was neat. Uh, so Darlene Love's given name is Darlene Wright. She began singing as a child with her local church choir. In 1962, she began recording with producer Phil Spector, who renamed her Darlene Love. She was so down to earth. The scene with her and Riggs when she finds the pen. Oh, yeah. And yeah. she's That's just listening. Scene, yeah. You know, yeah. She just does such a good job of being... Authentic. It's a very authentic performance. Yeah. A very grounded performance in a in a crazy movie. Oh yeah, yeah. She sang lead on He's a Rebel and He's Sure He's Sure the Boy I Love. Sure is. Which was credited to the Crystals. Uh, she was soon, soon a highly sought after vocalist and worked with many rock and soul legends of the sixties, including Sam Cooke, Dionne Warwick, Bill Medley, the Beach Boys, Elvis Presley, Tom Jones, and Sonny and Cher. Ugh, the Beach Boys. Yeah, yeah, I know. Love was invited annually by David Letterman to sing the song Christmas Baby, Please Come Home on the television show The Late Show with David Letterman for the Christmas holidays. She never went. He invited her every year, he, and she never showed up. She called said, her you, David Letterman. He called her the Christmas Queen. I know. I, he, she did. Show yeah, up. she always sang. She always sang. She was great. She ranked among Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Singers. Love was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall, Hall of Fame in 2011. They never let her sing in the movies. No, it's funny because you would never guess just by watching the Lethal Weapon movies. Uh, Love is featured in the Oscar-winning documentary film 20 Feet from Stardom, for which she won a Grammy Award. Nice. Uh, Love has held many star roles in various Broadway productions. She acted and sang in Greece in the short-lived musical adaptation of Stephen King's Carrie. Weird. Yeah. And starred as Motormouth Maybell in Broadway's Hairspray from August 2005 till April 2008. Right on. In 2019, she appeared in the Netflix original movie Holiday Rush, and most recently in 2020, she appeared and sang in the Netflix original movie The Christmas Chronicles 2. Uh, Mark Ralston was cast as Hans. Uh, he made his acting debut in Aliens in 1986. Oh, yeah, he did. He had a strong showing in 1994 in the Shawshank Redemption as Boggs Diamond, the man who continuously raped Andy Dufresne until Clancy Brown made him never walk again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember him most well, no, from. no, he was I, a heavy in a yeah. lot of movies. He was yeah. another guy that played, a character actor that played a lot of Broadway oh, yeah, roles. Yeah. In 2006, he appeared in The Departed. He's been in a ton of stuff, including the documentary, That Guy Who Was In That Thing About Character Actors. That is such a great documentary. Mm -hmm. If you have a chance to see it, it really, you should see it. Because it there needs to be more documentaries or more whatever that show these unsung heroes. More, more these, spotlight these on, the, on these guys. These amazing actors that you know who they are. Work constantly. Hundreds of movies and and make the movies always better. Yeah. And, but you're just, they're so good that you're just like, uh, who is that guy? I think that's my neighbor. I know him <laughs> from church. There's a dude in the, that lives in the neighborhood, a character actor that lives in the neighborhood that I see. He always waves to me. Oh, there's tons I, of them. And I, it's, I don't know his name, but like every time I see him, I'm like, hey, it's that guy. Every time I walk to Ralph's, I see some character actor or some yeah. character actress and... And they just don't want to have anything to do with me. Yeah, yeah. Don't blame uh, them. Ralston most recently can be heard in Star Wars: Tales of the Jedi. Uh, he had a voice. He had voice acting roles in the video games Blade Runner and Turok and Halo Four. Nice. He voiced Deathstroke in Batman: Arkham Origins in 2013 and in ba Batman: Arkham Knight in 2015, as well as Norman Osborn in Spider-Man in 2018. Peter Parker. I didn't realize that was him. Yeah. Uh, and in a mid-credit scene of its standalone follow-up, Spider-Man: Miles Morales in 2020. That's a really good performance. 
yeah. as uh, Norman Osborn. Is he or Osborn? Osborn. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he has a recurring role as Lex Luthor in the animated series Young Justice, and his Shawshank Redemption co-star Classy Brown also played Luthor for various animated TV shows over the course of his career. Interesting. Dueling. Yeah. He's doing. He's moved into doing mostly voiceover now. Like, well, that's what happens when you get old, man. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Well, but there's two options. You either <laughs> go into voiceover or you become an angry conservative mouthpiece. Yeah. Yeah. You that's can't it. do both, Adam. Nope. You can't do both. you got to nope. pick one or the other. That's it. That's it. You made the right choice. Uh, Jeanette Goldstein was cast as Detective Megan Shapiro. She made her acting debut in Aliens in 1986. She was always the go-to tough-ass action Latina. Yeah. She was in uh, Terminator. Uh, Terminator 2, she was the foster mom of... Yeah, to Janelle, uh, John Connor's foster mom. There's that great shot where she's like, come home, Timmy. We have whatever for you. And then you cut to, and it's the Terminator, and it's got his pointy... His finger arm in his, his the neck. knife arm. Yeah, disgusting. Uh, she was also appeared as Vampire Diamond back in Near Dark in 1987. Yep. Uh, which I need to watch it again. It's come up a couple times now. Goldstein is now the proprietor of the store Jeanette Bras, a large cut bra specialist known for its slogan, the alphabet starts at D. Nice. Yeah. She, she zagged when everybody zagged. Yeah. Pivoted. Yeah. Uh, Dean Norris was cast as Detective Tim Cavanaugh. Uh, he's best known for playing DA agent Hank Schrader in the AMC series Breaking Bad and its spinoff Better Call Saul. Yeah, he's great. He uh, chomps on a toothpick a lot. He does. He's he very does. young in this. Skinny. He is. He's very young and skinny. And still a bald. Little bit of, well, yeah, he had a little bit of hair. Just uh, wisp. Yeah. <laughs> the same year he appeared in Lethal Weapon 2, he also appeared in Police Academy 6, City Under Siege, and Disorganized Crime, starring Fred Gwynn, Lou Diamond Phillips, Reuben Blades, William Russ, Corbin Burnson, Ed O'Neill, Daniel Brobeck, and Hoyt Axton. Yeah, that... Not such a, a great not a cast, movie. but not a good movie. <laughs> Even though it had everybody in it. Uh, he most recently can be seen in the United States of Al, a sitcom... He's great, and he worked so much back then. Yeah. he. By the time he got to Breaking Bad, he had paid his dues, man. I would say he was probably on over 100 TV shows and oh, movies yeah, by yeah, then. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. playing different kinds, different flavors of cop. I mean, we honestly, I think most people probably wouldn't know who he was if it wasn't for Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Like, he would be a part uh, yeah. of that documentary of, yeah. like, oh, it's that guy. He might have been. I don't been. know his name, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he actually probably could have been. Uh, the Star Wars series and Ghostbusters notwithstanding, which were released some years before, the film was among the first of the summer blockbusters to feature the title-only style of opening that would become an established feature of event films from that point on. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, same when the, you hear the, the beginning of the Looney Tunes at the beginning. Yeah, it goes into the actual music of the movie. Well, it sets the tone. It does. Lethal Weapon 2 was the third most successful film of 1989 in North America. After Batman and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, earning nearly $150 million in the U.S. and $80.6 million, million overseas for a worldwide box office of just over $230 million. Yeah, it's great. And look, no shame being behind Batman and Indiana oh, Jones. Oh, no, no. Uh, yeah, it was, that was such a good year for movies, too, by the way. Um, I do want to say also... Everything's coming up boom. <laughs> it sure is, baby. It's boom time. And he goes, boom, there it is, whenever he dropped off a script. Boom, baby. It's yeah, hard to describe yeah. how much I love this movie. And I really love Lethal Weapon. You know me, man. One of my greatest joys in film is friendship. Yeah. And, it's, yeah. You know, and I love the two guys that are opposites coming together and being best pals. Right. That's why I love Lethal Weapon 1, because it's one of the best. Yeah. Uh, examples of that, yeah, yeah. yeah, and 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 they earn it, man. They work yeah. to get there. 
And the fact that this movie, boom, just starts. It starts <laughs> in the middle of the movie. The middle yeah. of a car chase. Yeah. With and him screaming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so excited. And, and just uh, through the course of the movie, they destroy poor Murtaugh's wife's station wagon. and. Oh. Such so a, many, so many things. The script is so good. There's so many payoffs. So many things come back. Yeah, oh. and so many things come back from the first movie too. Yeah. And yeah, they do such a good job of creating this world and creating this partnership and friendship and family. Yeah. And that's what Donna realizes, and he and and Lauren, I think, realized that that is what Lethal Weapon's all about. Right. And that's how it went forward too. The family kept getting bigger, yeah. but it was about family. And then they talk about family ad nauseum in the last couple. Yeah. But that's yeah, fine. Yeah. They earned it to me. They did. You they know? Did. Yeah. Three and four aren't as good as one and two. Yeah. But they're, they're not bad movies. Yeah, they're still good. And it's always fun to see these two guys together. And say what you will about Mel Gibson. The guy, the acting in this is what. Yeah. Makes it head and, and shoulders above just about any other cop, buddy cop, cop, cop movie. Yeah. yeah. Because these guys are believable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, Riggs can jump and shoot and do things that are crazy. But <laughs> they, they, he earns it by being the special forces guy. Yeah. Murtaugh yeah. isn't any sort of superhero. He's got his, you know, crack in the neck, one shot, you know, good <laughs> thing that he does. But that's fine. And Pesci is just a... The, it was it, they gave these guys a puppy, yeah, and and the puppy added to its. It could have ruined the movie if it, Joe Joe Pesci's. Yeah. It was such a risk to have this. Okay, 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 okay. Oh my god, this just ball of energy yeah. that could have just sucked the life out and just been like shut the f up. Yeah, yeah. But that's what was beautiful. Whenever it got a, to the point to, of that, yeah. that Merton Riggs shut up, and it bonded them so much closer together. Exactly. And they couldn't help but fall in love with this little guy either. Yeah, and yeah. neither could we, because Joe Pesci is such a great actor. He's such a great actor. It's just, again, you see people having fun, making a movie with yeah. characters that they love to play, characters that they love to direct, and it came together in such a perfect way. I think this is a the most one of the most perfect sequels agreed of any franchise. Yeah. Because it it builds on everything from the first one in in a really major way. Yeah. It doesn't add any sort of superfluous BS conflict right to right. to manufacture some Not sort of just discord. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It moves, everything goes towards the end, everything goes towards the plot and it is one of the best action movies. Oh yeah, yeah, ever in my Great. opinion. Great. I mean, we didn't even. There's so many things that happen. Like I totally forgot about the the in the hotel after they first meet Leo, yeah. and then like flying off the out of the under the, yeah. the pool. Like I totally forgot about that. Why didn't you follow me down? <laughs> I'm, I'm seven, seven stories up. up. <laughs> yeah, it's such just, a great movie. Yeah. Highly recommend it. I I think a, a good double feature. Would be watching Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2. Yeah. And just seeing how brilliant they work together. Yeah. It is get yourself some, a couple of pizzas. Yeah. And get yourself some. Five pints of beer. Yeah. Get yourself a bunch <laughs> of beers. And uh, enjoy this great time capsule of action movies of the 80s. Yeah. And this amazing chemistry that we haven't seen since. Agreed. Look. Agreed. Uh, the Rush Hour movies, great chemistry, different kind of thing. 
not the same thing. No, no. They ruin those movies by oh, doing the exact every, opposite, breaking them apart. And every them, sequel yep. is them having to get back together, trying to recapture, stop that. hating each other again, and then that duo was 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 all about conflict. Was all about yeah, arguing yeah, yeah. and in and, and kind of coming together. But it was it was. I, I like those movies. I really do. Yeah, but it yeah. didn't have the real feeling. Right, that lethal weapon doesn't does. capture that chemistry, that, that real that, friendship, that, that real friendship. Yeah, where it yeah. seems like you, you know, you watch these movies and you you wish that Mel Gibson and Danny Glover went out to dinner right afterwards yeah. and then went home and slept in bunk beds <laughs> at their house because they're best buds. It's just it's actually of, little little known fact. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's it's that kind of thing where it's you root for them, you want them. You know, the reason yeah. why you can't kill off Riggs is because it it. That's not what this is about. Yeah. I think... Such a great movie. It, yeah, and I think Shane Black wrote a, a, probably a brilliant script. Yeah. But yeah. it wasn't the Lethal Weapon 2 script because... Agreed. As much as all of that stuff made sense with the pathos of the, of the first script and, and the suicidal nature of Riggs, this movie really showed what friendship and family can do to change somebody because... yeah. Even when Riggs got to the point in Act 3 where his girlfriend's dead and he finds out that his wife was killed by the same guy, yeah, he yeah. still gets in touch with Roger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and he's, I'm, not, I'm not a cop tonight. Right. And, and Roger... And what, is, what does Roger do? He's not a cop either. He yeah. shows up and he throws his badge in the... In, the, in, in, in his drawer yep. and he goes, nope, I gotta be there. We're doing this together. And that was chilling. When that happened, it was totally. friggin' awesome, I'm man. Getting boomps right now, Me just too. thinking Giz about it. I'm getting gizboops. <laughs> that what we call I them? speak Africaners, okay? <laughs> hey, yeah. you see Africa? I didn't yeah. do a lot of the accent. No, you didn't. Thank mm, God. Yeah. No, just kidding. Just kidding. No, uh, your South Africa is actually pretty good. Uh, it's a weird accent. It's it's a super weird accent. And again, a lot of the the beauty of the the, the Schuler Donner partnership and love of hair. Is they have so many little things in there, like you know, they're very active with their yeah. with their charities, and they're very active with their activism. Mm-hmm. And so they put in the "Don't eat tuna" because yeah. it kills dolphins. Kills the dolphins. And yeah. they made a whole movie, a whole anti-apartheid movie. Yeah, which was again risky at the time, and it's just and it worked. It it didn't it didn't use apartheid. Yeah, it used the jerks. It used these guys that were right horrible right. guys from a really effed up country right. at the time. Right, and they used that nastiness as the backdrop without minimalizing or exploiting apartheid. They the only time that it's really brought up is when they literally use it as a way for Riggs to get inside the consulate mm-hmm. and, and they, they use it against them, you know, to they humiliate them. They bring yeah. in, yeah, they bring in, uh, uh, Murtaugh and he's just like, what? My you friend. don't want to go to South Africa. My friend wants to go to South Africa. <laughs> Come here, Alphonse, Alphonse. All right. Well, that's all I got. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's such a great movie. <laughs> it's such a great movie. It is so entertaining. I could talk for days about this. Movie. Oh, we didn't even talk about the, Toilet exploding and the no, which okay, I, the toilet. Let's let's. There's a couple things we need to talk about. The toilet exploding, which is just brilliant because it gives them their moment, their "I love you" yeah. moment. And of course, they it's can't a, say it. I know. Yeah, I know. it was. It was. It's like two hand solos. You but, know, but then they immediately show their great chemistry again by like having to stop and talk about the counting over and over yeah, and over yeah. again. Yes, and because they don't, 
you know, they know this might be it. Right. Right. You know, and their last moments to you know, it's not Murtaugh's wife and kids coming up to say no. it's it's no. his buddy and that and the uh the condom commercial, which that was a huge thing too. They they didn't have condom yeah. commercials. They yeah. they just started with condom commercials. It was a huge controversy. And rubbers, have that rubbers everywhere. Rubbers, rubbers in the desk, rubbers in the coffee, rubbers, rubbers, rubbers. But that that happens. They give him the rubber tree, and at first he's like mad, and then he gets the joke. Yeah, he's like, All and right. he laughs. Is this genuine? And nobody has a better genuine-looking on-screen laugh oh, than yeah. Danny Glover. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, look, this whole month has just been a love letter to Danny <laughs> Glover. Let's be honest. Well, and it's as it should be, as it should be, and it's yeah. This movie I can watch over and over again. Yeah. It, it just it doesn't. Yeah, it is of its time. But it is just so thoroughly entertaining and so laugh-out-loud funny yeah. and so shocking at times. And I remember seeing it in the theater and that shot of uh, his, you know, Vanderpump or whatever. <laughs> Rika? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Rika underneath the water was chilling. Yeah, yeah. Chilling. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Anyway, goose, yeah. Goose pimps. Yeah. Go- Gus pumps or whatever. Gus pumps. <laughs> Gus pumps. Uh, yeah, like Adam said, watch the two movies or just watch the second one. You don't even need to see the first you, one. No, you don't, actually. I mean, the, you, the, all the backstory's there. I but, mean, he, but watch the first one. But it's watch great. the first one because it's very good. He's got Mr. Yeah. Joshua. And uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, just uh, this was the birth of a genre that's been overworked oh. and overdone. Yeah. And it's never recaptured the magic. No. It's number no. one. It's always going to be number one, in my opinion. Yeah. This this coupling. And uh, and I, for one, want to see five. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. I'm curious. I'm not getting too old for this ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be back next month, uh, which is in a week, uh, <laughs> with uh, yeah. our Love Hurts month. Love Hurts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're going to have some great movies. I'm super excited. Uh, play Misty for me. Presumed yeah. innocent, fatal attraction. Gonna be good. Oh, we're tasty, gonna tasty, boil tasty. some bunnies. It's gonna be good. Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. Ben Gazzara. Playing, <laughs> playing, not Ben Gazzara. Oh, he's dead. Uh, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, The Incredible Hulk, already in progress. 